Hello, good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, wherever you might be listening to this French Football Weekly podcast. Uh, we're back again. My name is Chris. I'm your host, as usual, and back to a full complement of people this week. They are Mr. Rich Allen. Hello, Rich. Hello there. Mr. Jeremy Smith. Hello, Jez. Hello. And the lady on the buttons, it's Phil. Hello, Phil. Hi there. Uh, just to uh, just to uh, draw a line under the start of the podcast, by the way, we are the only podcast that would not be dumped by Pamela Anderson. Right, let's uh, have to. Have you wouldn't to be going out with her in the first place. That, that, that was yeah, kind of where I was going with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, Adil Rabi aside, uh, we're here to talk a little bit of international football, obviously, this week because it has been International Week. Um, first of all, we are going to spend an hour uh, talking to you all about the rules of the nations. No, we're not at all. <laughs> but uh, frankly, we probably could. So, what we're going to do is just have a little bit of a chat about the two games that France have played in this international break or window if you will I prefer breaks uh, and just sort of go through a couple of bits and bobs of those we're also going to talk about the celebrations after the Dutch game the other night uh, and have a little bit of a look ahead as Liga returns at the weekend so uh, Rich you're back with us so I'm going to start with you uh, back to last Thursday um, we saw Germany and France open up their Nations League uh, was it group one game one I think that's how they put it just, uh, France uh, Germany's. League. Oh, sorry, is it League? League A. League A, no, Group League 1. League 1, Group A. It it sounds like you're playing chess when it, anybody starts talking about this. You know? It sounds bloody stupid is what it sounds. But anyway, there, there, was, a, six, uh, there was a game played. I know that much. Um, Rich, um, give us your, your thoughts. I mean, it wasn't the, the most incredible of spectacles, um, but it is a game that will probably be remembered quite fondly by one Alphonse Ariola, to name but one. Uh, absolutely. Um, it, it, I mean, to look at the game itself very quickly, there wasn't a great deal to talk about. Um, it, it, I mean, it was going to be a tricky game, I think, for France. It was the first post-World Cup game for them. It was the first post-World Cup game for Germany after having such a, a dreadful tournament themselves. Um, so I never, I, I never thought that it was going to be an easy game for France. It was going to be a case of some players finding their international feet again and it, it proved to be the case. Um, Ariola being the, the the new guy, if you like, into the fold with with Hugo Lloris injured, um, and and he he took his opportunity very very well. Mm-hmm. Um, save after save he made. Um, I think Octogon tweeted out that he made six key saves. I think which was the most by any French goalkeeper for ten years. Yep. Um, I, I, he was terrific. Um, bear in mind, this was his debut. He looked assured. He looked calm. He was stopping everything. The the one-handed diving stop from from Ginter's header in the second half was absolutely fantastic. Um, so it was really encouraging to see. I think a lot of us have been wanting to see Deschamps give Ariola a go with a with a nod to um, you know with a, with a nod to the future and and what happens in a post Hugo Lloris world. And it was great to see him play, and it was equally great that we've come out thinking, you know what, if Lloris wants to retire anytime soon, we're not going to be particularly bothered. Um, it's, it's given, probably the person that's given the biggest headache to is, is Thomas Tuchel, um, and, and what happens with regards to, to Ariola as, 
as his number one at PSG. And I think he, he did say he today did. that um, he, he mentioned Daniela that he is the, he, is the number one. Yeah, he said no no final decision has been made yet, but at the moment. Um, he he believes that Ariola is in the driving seat, mm. um, but it's it's you know that that'll be great to see. But in terms of the game, pretty forgettable game. But Ariola was 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 without a doubt the shining light from it. Yeah, needed yeah. more Özil. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, Tony Crowe's uh, comments got um, uh, their kind of short shrift on Twitter, and uh, he said about steps forward, and a few people went after him saying, "Step forward would be to get your best player back." But still, that's mm. Germany. That's for another day. Um, Phil, let's come to you on on this one. Then again, France sort of lined up in this this four two three one kind of situation again. They seem to be persisting with uh, with Giroud up top we'll, we'll talk more about him in a moment um, is there any concern that obviously during the World Cup they, they tried the pace element to start with it didn't work gone back to the, the Giroud idea well, now any concerns with plan B or? I'm well I have concerns there's no plan B but it's not about the pace because that's Mbappe's job I think um, what we saw here was I think showed how Deschamps is taking this competition seriously because he played, apart from Ariola, which was a forced change, uh, the same team that started the World Cup final. So it's still wonky, but still working, as it were. He's Matuidi on the left, obviously is not a winger in the traditional sense. You've got Mbappe on the right wing, probably being ahead, as we saw with um, Eltegenel's uh, sort of pass map. Uh, during the World Cup, ahead of Giroud as, as the focal point in the middle. And so this seems to be, my concern was, okay, it might be a good thing that Deschamps is using that winning side still in this competition, showing he's taking it seriously. But does it also show that maybe he's too wedded to his idea uh, of how France should be. And I, I had a very interesting conversation with Mohamed Butter, Squawker and Kev Williams um, the other day about who would come in because I think um, Mohamed uh, wrote a piece saying basically he feared that Mendy is not uh, the right left back for France, which given how good he is, seems weird. But it's because Lucas Hernandez is good going forward, but also solid defensively. And you see that, in a sense, with uh, Giroud as well. He's not the most pacey centre-forward, but you know where he's going to be and you know what he's going to do. And the idea of, will Dembele get a game? He'd have to play on the right, Mbappe move to the left. I don't think Dembele is a Deschamps kind of player at the moment because it's still you don't quite know where he's going to go next. And I think Deschamps is nervous about that kind of uncertainty. And now he's worked out that you can win while playing with basically no left wing. It's going to take a while, I think, to change the setup they've got, which is this kind of... As they, Matuidi on the left is further back, then you've got Giroud, then you've got Mbappe on the right further forward. It looks a little bit like a guillotine heading towards the other team, which may be, um, you know, maybe um, a stretch too far, metaphorically speaking. But it, it does feel like he's going to have to blood some new players at some point. And 
how is that going to manifest itself? And I think one of the regions, however much we all love Benjamin Pava, perhaps right back would be the first one where you'd look at it and say, okay, who else could play there? I don't know. Mm, it's it's definitely one that we'll we'll talk at, we'll talk in a minute actually about the the potential future of some of the players. But just just in drawing a line, I'm going to kind of transition you from one game to the other. Drawing a line into this one and looking at the next one, um, there was a couple of other things to pull out of this game. Uh, we saw the um, aforementioned Benjamin Pavard essentially assaulted. I've never seen anything like that in terms of his, his neck scratch. Oh yeah, was it, was it Rudiger? I think it was that did it. Yeah, it was. Um, not good. Um, Rich, uh, Rich, sorry, Jez, what did you sort of make overall of, of the kind of the difference between the two games? We'll, we'll come on to Holland in a second, but was almost like Phil touched on there a little bit of kind of after the Lord Mayor show about the Germany game, obviously ended nil-nil. Germany were realistically rebuilding from, from what we've said was a poor World Cup. And, and as Phil said, France just coming back in. Was there a noticeable difference between the two performances for you? Uh no, no, not particularly. I mean, I think Germany are a much better team than the Netherlands. Um, I think the main thing um, to take away from, from these two matches, I don't think there is actually that much to take away from these two matches. I think it was very, very clear where, but from the squad that Deschamps picked and the way he spoke about it in his press conference when he announced the squad, this was absolutely um the, the main thing about this match was the, the celebration after the Netherlands match. Yes, it's the Nations League. I think maybe you could read... I think the fact that Deschamps started with the same team in both matches and didn't chop and change for the Netherlands one and also didn't make wholesale substitution changes, I think that shows to an extent that he was taking it seriously. But this was absolutely about recognising the 23, 25, if you count the two keepers and change. Um, players who won the World Cup. I mean, the fact that Rami announced his retirement and has been diabolical so far this season, yet within the squad, <laughs> show, shows, I think, that this was this was not a squad necessarily picked. Not, I'm not going to say on merit. Obviously, they're picked on merit because only two months ago they were they were squad picks on merit. But this was not about current form or anything like that. This was absolutely about the chance for the Stade de France public to recognise the squad that won the World Cup. I think in October we may see changes, but I, d I think reading anything into absolutely any position at all um, in terms of selection is, is a bit of a waste of time. Um, you can certainly read things into the fact that Ariola had a great game, for example, yes. and what that means going forward. But, yeah. you know, I, d I don't think... Uh, you know, we can talk about Hernandez versus Mendy and Pavar versus um, the huge void that is France's right-back situation. <laughs> but I don't think you can sort of see the squad that was picked as a consequence of that. Of that no, agreed. Just in terms of, of the Dutch game, um, I sat down to watch it uh, Sunday night. and it, it, it was quite a good watch, to be fair. I, I thought, anyway, it was quite an entertaining game. Um, we, we saw a, a lovely lovely sort of opening. Well, both goals were lovely, really. Mbappe uh, putting the French in front for uh, Ryan Babel, who it still amazes me that he's still playing top-level international football. That's probably a mark of where Holland are, but he equalised. <laughs> he's been... 
he's been pacing himself for most of his career. Yeah, appar- <laughs> apparently so. It's, it's the Memphis Depay attitude to football. Um, but yeah, he, he got the equaliser. A good goal, maybe a, a little bit of um, a little bit of switch offery, if you will, which is a, an Ian Dowieism I've just created there. Um, but uh, France came out winners, and and I, I do want to talk about the winning goal in particular. Um, what did you make of, of Oli Giroud? I mean, he, he's he's one of those players that okay, obviously I'm slightly biased in the club I follow, but he's just such a likable bloke because he just works his balls off basically. And the finish, I, I genuinely think, and I said this when he was Arsenal, I'll say it now when he's at Chelsea, wherever he plays, if he was your sort of Griezmann, Mbappe, quick, nippy, in and out type of striker and, you know, fashionable striker, if you will, and he wasn't a big hunk of a man, he would be up there with the greats because a finish like that is absolutely exceptional, isn't it? To, to to have the composure to turn that ball in the way he did. Having, let's not forget, not scored in, was it It was nearly a record amount of time. Yeah. It was um, nowhere near a record amount of time. Oh, is it not? I, I read some. <laughs> no, if you count the number of matches, maybe, but it was about, it was around 800 minutes, which is 400, 400 minutes less than the, the period that the great Benzema went with us. <laughs> let's not open that box. Um, but on, on Giroud, I mean, what, what do you sort of have any words for, for him and, and what he brings to this French side and, and indeed that goal? I think that, um, again, when, when Deschamps talked about him, he said that you only realise how important Giroud is when he isn't playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thank God that it's uh, Deschamps who knows that and and not a lot of the, the sort of armchair fans because, you know, we said before he was, okay, he, he was a bit unlucky during the World Cup against Belgium, kind of misfired, but, you know, the stats being what they are, he'd go down as history and not having a shot on target, but, you know, clearly there were a couple of goal-bound shots there that were blocked. There was the one against Peru that was probably going in before Mbappe nicked it. But aside from all of that, he was extremely important. He was the first line of defence when the opposition had the ball. He was massive, as he was against Germany, um, defending set pieces as well. And, you know, okay, he's gone through a bad phase goal-scoring-wise, but the fact remains he's got, what, 32 goals now, I think, Mm. in internationals. And I think... um, I'm not, you know, he's not going to go down as one of the greatest strikers in history, and I'm sure he wouldn't pretend that he is. But um, he does what he does fantastically, and he's done it for club and country. He's got his head down. He's worked. Okay, occasionally he comes out with a slightly arrogant comment, but which footballer doesn't? Um, and I think he's, I, you know, it's we've all gone through this several times before, but. I think he's massively underappreciated at Arsenal, at Chelsea probably, and, mm. and for France as well. Mm. Uh, the yes. only people that still love him unconditionally. Oh, I, I, st- I, st- I, I still love him, even though he's one of them. It hurts me every time I see him in blue, but I still love him. Um, he, he's, got the, uh, he's just got that effect on me, um, and indeed many other, uh, particularly females, but we'll, we'll leave that one there. Um, I think I, can, I just, uh, remember... It might have been Tom Williams, who isn't someone who, who slides him off, but someone last year after one of his really great goals said one day someone will, will make a highlights reel of Shiru's <laughs> best goals and yeah. people will think he was Pele. Yeah, well, the scorpion kick and all that. Okay, yeah. okay, he's not Pele, but the fact that he scores lots of goals like that, as well as your standard headers and tapping some things, maybe suggests that actually he's a good player after yeah. all. I mean, when, I, well, um, I, I've little, I've little doubt that he'll. I mean, he's thirty-two goals now. That's two. So that's that puts him fourth in the 
all-time goal-scoring rankings for France. Only two behind, I think, Trezeguet in third. He will catch Trezeguet. Mm. And, you know, I think there's, a, there's at least a year left for, for, for Giroud. Um, so that, that's one thing I think Deschamps may look at changing and may, may look at moving Mbappe to the middle or possibly bringing in Lacazette if he maintains his good form. But I certainly hope that, yeah, that he gets another year or so. In, in yeah, I, I, I think he's, he's going to be in the Euro squad, but maybe as a, as a backup. Um, if Deschamps does manage to, to move things around. I think one thing, before um, he moved to Arsenal, when there was the talk, before it was confirmed, when there was the talk about it, I wrote a blog piece about, um, please look after this og. And um, looking at his highlights reel of Montpellier's title winning season, 2011-2012, um, there was all sorts of goals there, but also all sorts of assists. That's what it came down to. He got 21 goals that season. He got nine assists. And some of those were, you know, brilliant crosses in for, uh, I think, one for John Utaka in a 2-2 draw away at the Parc des Princes. You know, he's a very, very competent player who is aware he is not the fastest and works with that. And we've, we've seen that for, for absolutely ages. And so I think... He is appreciated by some people and not appreciated because they've got the wrong idea of what he does. Yeah, we, we, um, all, yeah. we all love him and that's the most important thing. Exactly. So. <laughs> and I think also one thing I love about him was one of his goals was an absolutely ridiculous kind of um, flat foot volley lobbing the keeper from a tight angle. And he was asked afterwards... Was that a cross or was it a shot? And he laughed and said, I couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> or care you know, less, like, That's the thing. You say, he says the occasional kind of arrogant thing, but he, yeah, I think he is a, a guy that's got his feet on the ground um, in more ways than one, possibly. He's a very realistic player, and I think he knows his limitations, and he works with them, and he works to set other people up. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was great that he did get that that winning goal, and I hope yeah. that uh, cheers him up for the next couple of games as well. Yeah, me too. A smiling Ollie is always a good Ollie. Um, Rich, just just looking at the the game, um, and and at the same time, we'll sort of transition it a little bit into the the after show as well, which I definitely want to get uh, your thoughts and feels on as well. But the the game itself, anything that you you particularly want to add I mean as I say it was, it was a good spectacle I thought it was it's quite a good watch um, and I thought France were were scintillating at times and then sort of uh, how do I put this quiet quiet's the wrong word but sort of almost it was almost like they they lowered their levels slightly and that Holland didn't offer a huge amount it's almost like the equaliser woke them up but was there anything that you particularly took from from the game in general well I think overall it, it they they probably had one one eye on that that post-match celebration it was a case of that's that's ultimately what this game was for um you know i think you could probably be forgiven for forgetting that it was actually a competitive fixture um so i think they could probably you know we 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 let them off for that so that the ultimately um sunday night was all was all about the celebration um one thing that that i I saw during the game that it, it, it started to think is this a could this be something that, that Deschamps might want to consider, or even possibly even Guardiola at, at Manchester, Manchester City, perhaps less so? Could you look at deploying 
Benjamin Mendy further up the pitch. I think so. You know, yeah. we, we have seen this. I mean, we, we've, we've known, you know, what a great player he is for, for some seasons now. But certainly the start of this season, we've seen how ridiculously good he is going forward. And the, the quality of the crosses that he's provided. I mean, that one for, for Giroud's goal on, on Sunday night was an absolutely ridiculously good cross. Mm. So you wonder, you know... Um, you know, France are going to be looking for possibly for a left winger, and Matuidi isn't the long-term left wing fixture that maybe it's um, that, that Deschamps is, is is using at the moment. Do you stick with Hernandez, who is a more reliable defender, but is still more than happy to get forward? And then do you stick Mendy in front of him mm. and say, "Well, look, you know, between the pair of you, you can bomb forward, but you know, Hernandez is is a bit more dependable." going back but certainly Mendy I don't think there's many better attacking fullbacks in world football at the moment and it's oh. it's, it's it's quite scary I think to think just how long he's been out of the game and to have you know he, he obviously came back for a couple of games at the end of last season and featured a few you know in a, in a handful of minutes in the at the World Cup but he started this this season like a an absolute man possessed oh. Do we move to a three-man defence and have him as a wing-back? Which would possibly, because of course Lucas Hernandez is kind of a centre-back by trade, so as a left-sided CB, but then you might have issues with, you know, obviously Umtiti and Varane as a marvellous partnership. Would they be able to cope with being two in a three? And who the hell would go at right back, right wing back? I don't know. But well, arguably, it's... it potentially gets the best out of Sidibe. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's what he's good at, isn't it? That is his strength in terms of. You know, uh, I don't. I don't want to see Jibril Sidibe at right back, but right you wing probably, back. You could probably Possibly, twist my yeah. arm. Yeah, you could twist my arm as a, as a right wing back. Yeah. What about? Um, oh God, the names escape me. Montpellier chap who moved on. Mukiele. Yeah, uh, no, um, no. Uh, thank you. Yes. Oh, of course, he is left back, isn't he? Yeah. There's so many blooming left and right backs that, that there's a lot know. of left backs. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, mean, I, think... I still think um, Debushi. I was just going to say Debushi. I think he... in his his locker. But... Is there enough legs though? There, I mean, he's pushing what thirty? I think crazy now. I think he'd be he'd be fine, but possibly like as a right right back in a four yeah. rather than a right wing back. Yeah. Um, are we still thinking about Suke? Is he injured? Is he horribly injured? Have I missed something? Suke's not injured. No. Okay. Who's injured? Oh, never mind. Leave, leave me. Um, we will yeah, talk about I think there's, there's, there's definite um, possibilities there. And also, if, you know, these were two matches that, as, as we said, I think, Deshaun was taking seriously. He didn't want to risk playing a non-defensive left back against Germany. Against the Netherlands, Mendy did get like the last 30 minutes, I think, yeah. when things were kind of looking good for France. It's going to be perhaps on a game-by-game -game basis there. But to be fair, if you, your choice is Lucas or Mendy, that's nice. The issue, I still think, is right back, much as we love Pavard, much as we have issues with Sidibe, much as Debussy isn't getting back in the team, you know, what, what happens over there yeah. is, uh, is an interesting... Well, I think one thing that, that will have, will have, fate, will, will have tipped the balance even further to Hernandez's way was how easy Mendy got caught out for the... For that the, 
equalizer. That's a good point, yeah. And and indeed for Man City, what is it against Wolves? I think he was the one at fault. Uh, no, or, no, sorry, Newcastle. That 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 may that may be rustiness. He's not a. Mm. It feels dreadful to be saying that. <laughs> but Mendy is not a bad foot. Mendy is still a terrific left back. Yeah, um, he's just but, not a very good defender. Well, no. I, I, I mean, he was good. I mean, he was good at Monaco. He was good. At, I think this is an element of rustiness on his part. I think, you know, it's great that he's come back. But was that their defensive season or was that their will have a conversion rate that breaks all of the models and hits 20% into Easter? Doesn't doesn't Guardiola affect this, though? I mean, that's my argument to this as well. I mean, Mm. you know, I... I, okay, I'm a little bit... Those who know me, I'm a little bit... um, Let's just say I'm not blown away by by the all-conquering Pep. I think there's a lot of faults in his game, and I do think there's a lot of hot air that that goes along with the undoubted... You know, he's he's undoubtedly a very good coach and, well, you know, a world-class level coach, but I do think there's a bit of hot air and bravado that goes with this hype train that follows him around, uh, not to mention all the money. Um, But that aside... You know, he he does not sign fullbacks that that essentially he sees his fullbacks as his first choice attackers mm. in, in a way. Like that is how his teams play. Um, Whereas Deschamps is not a looking for a defender. Precisely, well, I so think it crosses over sometimes. I think there's a big difference between club football and international football. But yeah. club football, you get a lot of chances, and you know, over the course of the season. Um, you'd expect that Mendy will do more right than wrong and you mm. certainly expect that the rest of the, the Man City team take, take that'll, you know, it's an extreme case, but that Man City team will um, certainly more than cover any mistakes that Mendy makes. Mm. And yeah, Mendy is, a, is we're spot for choice at left-back because we've got two very good left-backs, but in international football, certainly in, in competitive football, you don't get that many chances. You make a mistake, it could be terminal to, yeah. to a qualification or certainly in, in tournament football. So you can understand there being a little bit more um, caution there. I mean, I, I still think if you're playing four at the back, the number one job of a fullback is to defend and, and their attacking ability is a bonus. Yeah. I think Hernandez is a slightly better defender who can also attack and Mendy's a, a better attacker who can also defend but not as well as Hernandez. So either yeah. way, I think we're in a very good position and you know, I do feel sorry for Mendy because I think he, you know, without that injury at the start of last season, he'd be indisputable number one. But Hernandez took his chance absolutely fantastically. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, while, you know, while Matuigi isn't the, the, well, I don't know if I'm going to talk about that later, but I, I think Mendy is a very good option um, to, to kind of replace Matuigi further forward. But that's obviously assuming that we're, you know, we're not putting someone like Lamar back in the squad if he has a good, a good season at Atletico. And you and you also have to look at um, obviously far far lesser level than the World Cup final. But I have this argument every single Sunday morning as I freeze to death on a touchline. If you play this formation as I do, four two three one, um, you have to make sure that the players who are playing in those three are aware that when you lose the ball, you're no longer three attackers. You have to. Well, that's 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 another that's reason why, why the why the right side is is yeah. much more of a concern. I still yeah. think, even though it's not Pavard's preferred position. And Mbappe doesn't really do tracking unless it's one of those. He's not a 
he's not as good a defender, but he is a good defender, but with the best win in the world, he needs a little bit of support and Mbappe mm. isn't giving him that. Yeah, yeah. And is possibly the only player in the world who can get away with that. For now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for now. It's yeah, that, that that's that's the key thing. It's you know, it can be as mercurial as you want, you and you can be brilliant, but I think if you look at arguably the two best of our generation, the Messi and Ronaldo, whatever you think of them, they both work work hard for the, the teams that they provide for and, and okay they're both probably arrogant in equal measure and, and grab headlines in equal measure but they'll always work that little bit extra for the team benefit and that's probably a side that Mbappe let's be fair he's still a young kid he's still got time but mm. that's probably a side he, he does have to work on um we should uh touch upon the the celebrations um Phil should we should we start with you are you a uh, are you a big fan of um, of this this gentleman who who sings the song? I must admit, it's, it's very catchy. As a man who's who's uh, wedded to the likes of Metallica, it's a little bit left field for me. Um, but I did find myself tapping away to it on Sunday night, and and I I would be lying if I said it hasn't crossed my YouTube channels a few times, uh, even today. In fact, it is quite catchy, and some incredible light shows fireworks uh, and a very awkward looking thomas lamar yeah i no i love that i'm like kante basically coming out going can everybody stop looking <laughs> can we just at stop me? this yeah as opposed to samuel on titty coming out and redoing his goal celebration i think kim Pempe one, as well one thing that i find very interesting is when you say big sam to a follower of the Premier League, they're thinking of, you know, a, an <laughs> ageing football manager who drinks pints of wine and... Gravy. Up and says Pogba isn't a, a changing room kind of player. tied around his head. And if you say it to a French person, they're like, yeah, and he's, he's one of the best centre-backs in the world. And he's got good swish. Yeah. Um, I just think it's big, the, the whole big sound thing is brilliant. Um, yeah. So yeah, him coming out and doing the whole kind of uh, drag race catwalk thing was, oh. was brilliant. They all just looked so happy. It's Hugo is quite a restrained individual, obviously, when not driving a car. I'm just going to say um, that. <laughs> but, you know, the look on his face, you can see why he was captain. Yeah. There's because, a element there, isn't yeah, there? And just, they all looked so joyful. They were laughing, they were dancing, they were singing. Everybody was... What's not to love? I, I thought that was brilliant. It was kind of, in a sense, more fun than the, the, coach, um, the coach trip they mm. took. Although, um, you know, all singing the songs in a garden party at the, the LAC was, was lovely. But this was, this was great. It was important to show off uh, the trophy at the first home game in the, um, back in France. Yeah. And to share that with everybody, I thought that was it was great fun. And the, them all singing the Kante song, and now you've got all people on Twitter going, "What are they actually singing?" Because I'm yeah. singing along, I've no idea what they're saying, and people sharing the lyrics. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's good. It's, it's oh, good. It's brilliant. It's I, I I I loved seeing when each individual came, I mean, each individual player came out. And and you know high fived and and shook hands with all the all the backroom staff and then at the end there's Deschamps there and you oh, just, the hugs. You, just you just saw the, the affection hugs. that Deschamps yeah. has got for each yeah. and every player and that's the Kante one especially because I think he could tell that Kante this isn't Kante's scene 
He could yeah. tell that perhaps he was he feeling spent a longer talking in his ear than anybody else. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. but the, it was uh, it's just it's just that love that Deschamps has got for his players, and then that it's it's reciprocated as well. The love and respect that the players have for him. It's it's. I genuinely don't think there's another coach that has that kind of connection with his squad. Certainly in world football at this point in time, it's it's so rare, and it's something that Deschamps has worked so hard. To, to create and nurture since, since he came in. And it's, it's just been the biggest contributing factor, I think, to, to France succeeding and, and winning as they did in the summer. Because yeah. just this, is, this is kind of weird because when he was Marseille coach, there was a lot of talk about the fact that he made the players vouvoyer him, um, that they'd have to refer to him as vous, the formal you, and he talk them as two uh, yeah. the informal two now I think we've seen that change over time if you've seen the, the documentaries and so on there is a lot of love there but it looks like Deschamps has realised that uh, having the uh, in a sense the distance between the coach and the players doesn't mean you can't uh, be affectionate towards and supportive towards the players so he seems to have grown from from that period I think that's kind of interesting because he is no longer um, kind of the, the stern coach that, that, that does that kind of thing. And one other thing I just want to mention is, I, Jez, you shared this uh, tweet. I think it was, was it Marcel Desailly's 50th birthday recently? Yeah. The tweet where it was Desailly's best 50 laughs and Oh my God, if you, particularly if you're having a bad day, I urge you to watch this video because it's brilliant. But also number 50 is him and Deschamps with the World Cup in 2018. And it is, it is absolutely glorious. So I think you can see that Deschamps does have a bit of a kind of occasionally, not shy, but kind of reserved and a slightly baffled uh, appearance sometimes. But yes, the joy on his face during that and when he was greeting all of the players and the celebrations, it's, it's wonderful to watch. Mm. I think, um, yeah, on, on Kante, it's well worth watching Ariola's um, sort of initiation. Yeah. In, no, his initiation song. Oh, the, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, not Ariola, Costa. Le Comte. The no, no, yeah, the comp, that's it, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. The whole table is singing and, like, swinging their napkins over their heads. <laughs> He's not into it. And Kante is sitting next to Lacan and just refusing to join in. It's very cute. There were loads of people um, on Twitter going, oh, my God, that's like a, a, a pro-communist Italian song from the 1930s. I'm like, yeah, um... Major Gims did it recently. It's I think we know where he got it from. And um, I think on the on the celebration, it was really important to do. There was, um, you know, in '98, there was the the following day celebration and the the coach ride down the the Champs Elysees and then the presentation on the balcony at the Crillon Hotel was was really important, like a really important part of the celebration. And even in 2006, they they appeared on the balcony. Uh, that was sort of quite cathartic with um, Trezeguet in tears getting like huge elevation from the crowds. Mm. You know, he he was worried that because he missed the penalty, he'd get sort of food or whatever. Um, so there was there was a lot of controversy attached to the fact that it was quite a quick coach ride down the Champs Elysees, followed by no appearance of the Crillon Tool, and it was all 
all different stories about whose fault it is and whether they ever intended to go to the pre or not, depending on who, who you believe. Um, Griezmann's given a couple of interviews recently in which he kind of said, well, the players definitely wanted to, but everything was running late and security and then Macron wanted to see us, whatever. So it was really important to have the chance to um, sort of commune with the crowd. Mm. Um, obviously, maybe a different crowd, but to have that that celebration and that you know real chance for the for the fans and the players to, to celebrate together, and I don't know, I mean, um, you could always argue if you want to have sour grapes, it was a bit overdone or a bit self indulgent. But you know what? Generally, winning the World Cups a once in a lifetime thing, or once in a generation certainly, and you know why not? Why the hell not? I'm sure most countries in the world, except possibly Brazil, when they won three out of four and maybe got a bit blasé about it, even then it's unlikely, um, would, would celebrate it as much as they can. I mean, you know, when Italy won it, they appeared on the, on the what's it called, the capital in all the, the Roman ruins, the Roman Forum. So um, if we're talking symbolism and that kind of thing. So absolutely no issues whatsoever. It was a fantastic celebration. And yeah, Deschamps and all the players deserved it. And on, on Deschamps, I think um, I think there's a few correspondents, Dugo is the obvious one, but I think there's quite a few who should be eating a lot more humble pie than they are. And um, it's actually interesting that before uh, before the World Cup, Didier Rustin, generally I, I agree with almost everything he says, he was quite critical of Deschamps. And he said Deschamps is not an international manager, he's a club manager because he can buy the players to fit the system he wants to play. He's obviously a defensive manager, so he should, so he would buy defensive players. But the fact is, he's got a very offensive-minded squad, so it's it's wrong that he's playing this kind of football. Again, I think he's been proven wrong, and suddenly everyone's story has kind of changed. And, been say, and now suddenly it's, well, you know, it's knockout football, so you do whatever you can to win, blah, blah, blah. Either way, whatever it is, Deschamps has been vindicated in his selections, in his tactics, in his relationship with the players, everything. And, um, you know, he's, again, he's, he's won everything everywhere as a player and a coach. Um, there's lots of fuss made about the element of luck, but you don't, you know, name one international team certainly that's won anything recently without a big slice of luck somewhere or other. Mm. Um, France, France deserved it and Deschamps deserves all the plaudits. And yeah, you, you know, L'Equipe have been running quite a few good interviews over the summer. Um, the most recent one, I didn't translate this one, but it was um, Griezmann, Hernandez and Lamar together, which is a really fantastic interview. But them as well, but all the interviews just heap praise on the players, heap praise on Deschamps. And Deschamps done the same for the players. He's protected them when needed. He's, you know, he's, I think he's clearly been speaking to all of them individually to, to maintain their confidence. You know, when people were slagging off Griezmann at the start of the, of the, of the tournament, Deschamps was speaking to him one on one after every match and saying, you know, I know you're going to come good in the, in the knockout stages. Um, he, you know, he made a leader, helped make a leader out of Pogba. He's kept faith in Giroud. Um, he's brought in Pava and Hernandez when, when no one was expecting them to come in, let alone become mm. first teamers, let alone win the World Cup. Um, you know, he's done a fantastic job. And it's, I can see in the future, I can understand that people would now want France to cut loose a little bit more. 
And if Deschamps doesn't do that or proves incapable of doing that, I can see him getting more criticism again. But, you know, you, it's, he's won the His World man Cup. management has been really, really impressive. Yeah. yeah just one, of, one other thing on the celebration. I think Ren and, some Ren and Bordeaux fans sort of united in a little bit of sympathy. Uh, Benoit Costil did a um, he did like an Instagram live video <laughs> during the celebrations, and he was sort of in the dugout as they were parading round. Uh, and someone commented on the video, um, well, it was live. Uh, you know, Benoit, why aren't you over there celebrating with them? And he just had to reply, "I'm not a world champion, unfortunately." <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone took a screenshot, and everyone was like, "Oh, come on, a bit of sympathy." Uh, but then there is a really great picture. Um, I don't know if it was on an Instagram story or not. I can't remember. Of of in the in the dressing room of him and Giroud stood next to each other with the oh. trophy, and they they genuinely. I mean, we've always yeah. There was one on the plane as well. I they think, which, they look yeah, like twins. Yeah, they do. I defy <laughs> I defy many a football fan to identify who's who in that picture. Yeah. it's ridiculous. You're basically uh, using the tattoos to identify it. Yeah. Quite a few good looky likeies and, and actually uh, I also like the um there was a photo shot when they first arrived at Clairefontaine before the before the Germany match. There's like a massive poster covering the whole of one of the outside walls saying like Bienvenue au champion du monde and someone had photoshopped underneath Eben costume. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like he had a little bit of ribbing, but all in good, all taken in good nature. While we're just on the goalkeepers, um, our kind of final segment uh, before we look ahead to the weekend's uh, return of, of league action, um, just wanted to look at the players that maybe could make the breakthrough or on the other sort of flip of the coin, maybe are being transitioned out. Obviously, we mentioned uh, Hugo Lloris, who obviously is injured at the moment, but he's not going to last forever. We've mentioned Alphonse Ariola's rise to fame. Um, I should probably come to you on this one, Phil. It's good to see Benjamin Leconte getting a call up. Um, yeah. He's a goalkeeper I've liked for a, a long time, probably because of obviously saw him come through at, at Lorient, was able to watch him quite a lot there. But he's, he's a goalkeeper for me who's come on leaps and bounds. Um, he's probably now, would you say, the likely next in line in terms of the squad, or, or would no, you say? I'm I'm not sure. I think after Lloyd, I think Mandanda's. I forget kind about that. Retiring. Mm. So when Lois goes, I think it's Ariola. Yeah. And so you've got Costil and Lacombe to the backups to them. But then, given their ages, Ariola's what, 22, 23? Mm. He's 25 now. 25, right. Mm. And next, there's Lafont. Mm. So it's like, I'm not sure. How how much opportunity? If you're going to play the same goalkeeper consistently, which is what normally happens, uh, with you know the occasional breaks for you know injuries or arrests or whatever, um, you're looking at the same guy being the number one for a period of five years. And if that's Ariola, that takes him to thirty. By which time Lecomte's going to be thirty-five then you are looking at it, at it being Lafont or possibly Paul Bernardino or someone like that. Mm, you know, it's... Lef yeah, so it's Lafont is the one I'm keeping an eye on. But goal yeah, you're right. Yeah. Goalkeeping is a position where the amount of time that you spend 
as the number one is, I think, longer than outfield players unless they are exceptional. Mm. Um, so that's, I think, I don't think LeCompte is going to get much. Um, I hope he does get, you know, get a cap in a, in a friendly, in a Nations League game, because I think he deserves it. But I don't think he's going to be the France number one, because, uh, in a sense, the the schedule is set. Mm. Shall we say? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Jazz and, and Rich, feel free to sort of um, pipe in at this point. Any other names, positions that you think? I mean, obviously, you mentioned Rami's retirement. Now um, he's off to focus on his relationship or lack thereof. Um, there's a there's a few others that uh, sort of players that that are. I look at someone like Thomas Lamar and, and I, on the other flip side, I look at someone like Alex Lacazette, who if you look at the polar opposites of, of where their sort of form could be heading, I mean, albeit Lamar is still settling into life in Spain, but you look at someone like that who, you know, he sort of feels a little bit on the edge of the squad. Do you, do you see players like, like a Lamar, uh, possibly even a, a Tova, who, although it's been brilliant for Marseille, is not really getting a look in it. At the, at the international level at the moment, do you see those sort of players potentially being filtered in and out for the likes of a, a Lacazette or another that could break through this year in the Liga? Um, I don't see Lamar going out, drifting out of the squad. I think they are in need of of left sided midfielders. Um, I think his move to to Atletico will will come off. I think he's had a couple of good games. Um, I think that the fact that he's going to have that relationship with Hernandez. Um, down that left-hand side, and obviously with Griezmann in the team as well, will really play positively for him. Um, so I don't see him drifting out. I think he will. I think last season was obviously a bit of a blip, but a few knocks, a bit of pride perhaps was knocked for not getting his move when he perhaps thought he was going to get it. But he's got it, so he can now knuckle down and, and show everyone just what a great, great player he is. Tovan, you feel a little bit sorry for him because he's done nothing. He's not done a great deal wrong at club level, but I just struggle to see how he fits into this team. Um, you know, you want you want players who are playing well in you know domestically to be rewarded with a call up, but you've also then got to reach a point of well, if you're consistently calling them up and they're not even really getting substitute appearances. Mm. then it's a case of, well, you know, do you look at someone else who might fit into the squad a little better? And it may be unfortunate on Tovan that he, he could be a potential um, player that's sacrificed for that very reason. It, it would be harsh on him because there's not a great deal more he could do at club level. You know, we, we joke aside about perhaps not turning up for the big games, but the, the entire Marseille team struggled to do that. For the last few seasons, you can't pin it all on on Tovan to to carry that team in the biggest of matches. So he he could be one that drifts out. I I mean Phil Phil mentioned earlier that she, that she thinks that Jury will make it to the Euros. I'm not so sure he'll make it to the Euros. Hmm. Um, primarily because I think and then to tie back with what Jez was saying about about sort of evolving the team. I'm not sure that Deschamps will be will be looking to play this same formation and this style for the Euros. I think the team will adapt over the next couple of years. And it's quite good that we have the Nations Cup to keep them competitive. But also on the flip side is it does perhaps eradicate the possibility of any kind of experimentation with with so few what I would call vanilla friendlies. Um, so, I mean, 
I think the team will need to evolve. I think the team will evolve. And yeah, you'd say that if Giroud weren't to make it, you'd probably be looking at Lacazette finally being given a run in the team. It will depend, of course, whether Emery gives him a run in the yeah. Arsenal team as well, which... Seems going like by, he's going to. Yeah, going by the last Arsenal match, it seems as though he's finally seen sense and realised that actually Lacazette and Aubameyang... <laughs> well, yeah. So if, if he can get into the Arsenal team and actually show that he is still a top quality striker. I've no doubt he'll, he'll get his, get his recall. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think we've got, you know, you look at the sort of players who are perhaps the wrong side of 30. You've got Matuidi. Well, we've got players that can come in for him. You perhaps drop down even younger. You've got someone like, potentially you've got someone like Hussein Aouar at Lyon, who, who, you know, could be, could be rewarded if he can follow up last season's success. Um, I'm I'm still aboard the Yoris Nyanyon for for, for <laughs> centre back purely because when you break, I mean France are obviously blessed with a lot of really good centre backs, but if you carry on this philosophy that Deschamps has of his four centre backs must be two left footed and two right footed centre backs, with Rami going, uh, it the number of right footed centre backs is is that that number drops off quite dramatically. And yes, you've got Kurt Zuma, who hopefully will make a, a great success of his long move to Everton. You've got Issa Diop, who may find things a little tricky at West Ham. <laughs> well, he, he um, definitely get some practice. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you then, you then at. I've seen a couple of of of, um, of journalists suggest, well, well, why not? You know, he's he's had two really solid seasons in France. He's now got his move to Sevilla. Um, you know, it, he's he's now starting to get games for Sevilla. Well, in a year's time, why not? If he's if he if he's anywhere near the level that Longley mm. showed at Sevilla, then then why not give him a go? He's he seems to have tracked back on his um, uh, his belief that he was not going to represent France. Uh, he's now back in the under twenty one fold. So I'm I'm firmly I'm firmly on that for no obvious reason other than sheer bias. Mm. Speaking of the under twenty ones, they've qualified. Yes, yeah, uh, we were going to touch on this actually. Yeah. First time in however long? Um, yeah, twelve years. Twelve years. After so many playoff situations, fuck. Well, they fucked themselves up, frankly. But uh, yeah, they're they're through. They're playing tonight against Luxembourg, but they are already through with twenty four points from eight games in. Euro 2019 qualifying, uh, so they will be in Italy and San Marino uh, next summer to mm. to uh, contest that, and that's a relief for all of us who have been watching these qualifying uh, campaigns for some years and just waiting for something to go horribly wrong at some point. So yeah. this is good. This is really, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a an interesting time. Well, I mean, I'm still I'm still itching to see the uh, when obviously when Olivier Giroud retires, the uh, the, the front pairing of uh, Gignac and Sonogo, as I see them. <laughs> as France. I, I'm I'm with Rich. I think I'm not sure Giroud will last another two years. But I I'm think not either. With a lot of these players, so much depends on club form. Yeah. So you know, I think Lamar has definitely been natural person to fit into that that left hand side hmm. um but he needs to start playing well um tova 
I, yeah, I, I feel sorry for him as well. I mean, I think he's, it took a while, but I think he's sort of um, convinced Deschamps that he's a very good, good squad member, but clearly yet to convince him that he's a good first-teamer, which arguably is fair enough, considering that he went missing all the big matches last year. Um, but he's, you know, if Mbappe stays on the right and you've got Dembele there, then he could eventually kind of fall by the wayside. But I yeah. think if if Shiru gets shifted out, and again, that depends a lot on whether, how much Sarri plays him, then I could see Lacazette possibly, but I think probably more likely Mbappe will gradually move into the centre. Yeah. Um, and, and possibly Dembele down the right. Dembele, again, you know, he's kind of the other way around. Well, no, sorry, not the other way around. He's, he's the same way as, as Tordain, that he's he's been given a chance for France and he's you know he's already started the season extremely well for Barcelona but I think 99.9% of the time say for maybe 20 minutes against England in a friendly he's looked completely lost for France hmm. so I still think the jury's a little bit out on him so you know maybe Tottenham really can feel hard done by not yeah. yet getting a chance but yeah most of the rest picks itself I think um, Ariola, yeah, I think if Mondanda doesn't retire, I think he should be retired. Yeah. I, I mean, I know it's controversial, but I really think he's quite overrated. Um, I, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I thought, or I always thought him and uh, maybe even more controversially, him and Anyema for me, the two that were massively overrated personally. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. And, and surely, like you say, it's not always about the players that are. Um, that retire voluntarily, sometimes you've got to make that call and go, do you know what, we're just going to go in a different direction. Yeah. And yourself and, and Adil Rami, for example, are not part of that. And and then you've got other players. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Nabil Fakir, have we, for a player who's... That, I mean, that's the thing. France is so spot for choice still going forward. There's still so many very good attacking players. And, you know, you could... Dem, Moussa Dembele has a good season at Lyon. He, he's well into the reckoning, for example, as well. So... Mm. Terrier as well, you know, he's done so well for the under-21s, why not if he has a good season for Lyon? So there, there are players that come in, certainly sort of midfield and forwards, but it is in defence that there's still slight problems. And yeah, I agree with Rich, you know, you get so much every time a squad is picked. Why isn't Laporte in the squad? Hmm. Rightly or wrongly, it's because Deschamps picks left-footed and right-footed players. And there is there are a lot of left left-sided centre-backs and not so many right. So another name I'll chuck in, a lot of people say maybe would be the next one to be picked is um, um mm. which maybe the commentators are less keen on. But, um, <laughs> you know, also already, you know, done well abroad, a couple of different places. So, you know, he might be feeling he's, he's the possibly the, the next one to come in, in, in place of Rami. But I just... uh, overall, France are in a very good state, but there are still a couple of concerning positions mainly on the right side of defence. I will just throw in one surprise name because there, there is always one that you don't necessarily expect to see in the squad, but I'm just going to chuck it out there. Assuming there's no change of passports and identities and all that, which always seems to happen in these kind of players who can represent different countries, I wonder if uh, Chris and Kunku might get a squad place by the end of the season. Because every time I see him, I just think he's a monster. For his, what is he, 20? I just think he's a player who's, who's really, really good. According to what I'm gathering here, he's classed as French, but he just, with, with a name he's like that... He's in the under-21 squad. 
Yeah, I, ju- yeah. I just wonder with a name like that, could he be possibly would one of the African nations maybe knock his door and say, "Would you like to come and represent ourselves?" I, I don't think know. He's, he's DRC in heritage, but he's French all yeah. the way through from under sixteens. Yeah, so I don't well, think there's any sticks. any chance I, he. he I would. Goes. Um, I pick I pick him just as a poke in the eye to Rabio to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just really I just everything about him and I just think of a guy of of twenty. I mean, he's already filled out. He's an athlete. He was. I know you can't read too much into preseason, but some of those games that that I watched with PSG in preseason, he he, he looked like a player who every time he got even five minutes on the pitch or 25 minutes, whatever it was, he made an impression. Mm. Um, I think he's, in a sense, that's how he's been used. And he has, like we were saying earlier about Hernandez in the French team, he's taken that opportunity and just gone with it. He's not bitched about it or um, struggled with it. He has gone out and done his job very, very well. And I think um, the first couple of matches for PSU this season where Tuka was playing the youngsters, and we were like, come on, come on, keep doing this, keep doing this. And it has changed a bit, but I think Nkunku, obviously, given that he was playing and starting a bit last season, um, is going to be one of the ones who does come through. And he has got a lot of, uh, a lot of potential, a lot of... Uh, skill to bring to that side. Mm. The so, only thing that might count against him, it, it could count for him, you could argue, but I think could count against him, is he just doesn't have a fixed position. Mm. I don't think he's played. It like, doesn't feel like he's like played say, the same position it's twice. It's a bit like, you know, he, he goes on a sub and he just goes for it. He goes yeah. on in whatever position he's thrown on in and he goes for it. But I think it's kind of, you know, it's kind of clear that he is you know, centre mid, he can attack, he can defend. He, and that's basically what PSG want. They want midfielders who can do both. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, it might look like a, look like a, a sort of a, a weak point, but I think with a, a manager who knows what he's been asked to do, he's going to evaluate how well he's, you know, responded to that. And also know where his best position is. So I think you know the the augers are good. I think for Nkunku that I've just I've just got a bit of a man crush. I, I'm not going to apologise for it. And I same it's, with uh, uh, Kerr at the back. It's just two I really like. It's worth it's worth following the the French under twenty one players on Instagram. Yeah. And then Kimpembe because Nkunku gets so much grief <laughs> from from Kimpembe at PSG. And Nyanyon's been his tormentor for the under-21s these two games. He is just the go-to guy that if he's napping, they'll get the camera right in his face and then a little slap around the face to shock him, wake him up, or a bit of water. He, he takes it all in good jest, but he is a punchback when it comes to uh, a, a victim of uh, victim of pranks within the within his club and international set. If, if you enjoyed that, just before we look at, quickly look ahead to the weekend's games before we wrap up, but um, on a, on a very similar note, I quite enjoyed uh, Matteo Genduzzi uh, um, chasing Alex Awobi around a popular London restaurant on his Instagram the other night. That was quite entertaining as well. So uh, yeah, um, he's another one, of course, who who eyes will be on if he continues to play like he is for Arsenal. I think probably a bit early now. Um, as of course, Yasin Adli is another one. There's so much, so much talent, but that's probably a discussion for another day. We will just very briefly have a look ahead to the weekend's action. I'm just going to read through the fixtures quickly, and then I'm going to get one game each from you all 
to keep an eye on. So we've got Nice ran uh, for Rich's eyes on Friday evening, getting us underway. Uh, PSG St Etienne, that's always a, a good watch, or generally anyway. That's the 7.45 game also on the Friday. Uh, on the Saturday, we've got Khan Leon, which I'm quite interested by at four o'clock. We've got Amiens Lille, uh, Dijon Angers, Montpellier Strasbourg, and Toulouse Monaco are the seven o'clock UK time games. And Sunday, we have Nort Ram is the early game, Bordeaux Nîmes, which might be worth a watch. Uh, Bordeaux still very much a clown car at the moment. Uh, and Olympic Marseille against Gangomp, who very, very badly needs some sort of performance at the very least as they sit bottom of the table and currently pointless which is my favorite expression at the moment um Chez, is there a game you're particularly uh focused on this weekend of those honestly uh <laughs> there's some weeks where every match seems quite genuine genuinely quite thrilling yeah uh, this isn't but... one of those weeks for me uh, <laughs> at least you're honest try yes come on try um, I think Nice-Ren could be a good match. I mean, both teams play really good football. Nice obviously had a, have had a dodgy start, but slightly back on the rails of a, a good win against Lyon at Lyon. Although, you know, it did take a man the match performance from their goalkeeper, so they're not all there yet. But I think that could be a, a really decent match to watch. Mm. Um, Dijon-Angers, Dijon looking to get back on track as well. Um, and Bordeaux-Nîmes is, I think, quite intriguing because... Yeah. Bordeaux, uh, not having a good start to the season on and off the pitch. Two clubs going opposite directions. And yeah, Nîmes have, have looked great. You know, I get the feeling they're going to win some and lose some, but they're going to be entertaining to watch either way. So, a bit like on chair last year. Yeah, so I, I could see them really kind of seeing this match as another one that they you know they could really go at the other team, and if they can get an early goal, they could probably really well. Whether they get an early goal or not, you get the impression they could really scare. Yeah, um, agreed. Agreed. Is there um, anything similar to that, Rich? Have you got a game that you're? I mean, obviously you're going to be watching the the Ren game, but is there another one as well that catches your eye? I think Toulouse Monaco could be quite an interesting game. You've got Toulouse, who've made a surprisingly good start to the season um, under under Casanova. Obviously, they lost their opening game, but have now won three consecutive games, which are I don't think has happened for quite some time for Toulouse. Mm. Um, so they, they, you know, they've had a really, really good start to the season. Far better than I anticipated that they would. They're coming up against Monaco. Obviously, lost their last two games. Um, uh, lost them. It lost them in in late circumstances. Yeah, just thinking that um, at Bordeaux, and then obviously just before the, the break, they they lost um, uh, three to at home to Marseille. Mm. Um, so that I think that could be uh, a quite an interesting game because of course Monaco then um, through Wednesday Tuesday Wednesday I can't remember what day it is then the, the Champions League uh, oh, that's come around quick isn't it yeah. they're they're at home to Atletico Madrid so uh, nice easy return, one return for Thomas Lamar mm. um, so uh, yeah I think I don't, I don't know whether whether they'll take the Champions League as seriously. Um, it, it didn't appear to be the case last season. Um, so, yeah, I think Toulouse-Monaco will be a good indicator of how those teams can, can either maintain or, um, in Monaco's instances, bounce back from a spell of, a spell of poor form. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And uh, any, any different from yourself, Phil? Anyone that you're I mean, keeping a close eye on? Obviously, the, the big game is the late game on Friday, which is PSG versus Saint-Étienne, which should be, should be an interesting one to watch. But I think I'm, I'm with um, 
Armandiez. Uh, that Dijon Angers will be interesting because Dijon currently second, which is brilliant. Yeah. So I hope they can they can keep that up because if Toulouse don't uh, win against uh, Monaco, then that's that's there. But also, yeah, Bordeaux v Nîmes because Nîmes, as I think. From the two promoted teams, Nîmes are slightly more interesting than Reims, possibly mm. in that I say interesting. I mean chaotic. <laughs> they are no, but I know what you mean. Not showing any fear. They're going forward. They're pushing. They're pressing. They're sending shots in from everywhere, and I think that's brilliant. And given that Bordeaux do appear to be a little bit of a basket case. <laughs> Still, we had one uh, question in from Phil, who is PGLP90. Poyet claims Bordeaux are an amateur club. Is he right? It's like, well, they mm-hmm. do appear to have had a bit of that recently. So um, I think. Did you hear? That, did you hear the interview with him on Radio Five? Did anybody oh, hear that? No, I'm not going anywhere near that. Did I, Did you, Rich or Jess? Did you hear this on the um, on the uh, BBC uh, Football Daily? Euroleague's podcast they had him on I think it was Gab Marcos who interviewed him um, and he was um, essentially just sort of saying that the truth had been heavily stretched by the Monaco uh, Monaco by the Bordeaux um, hierarchy and that essentially doing what Gus Poyet does quite well um, saying it's nothing to do with me Gov I was just yeah. doing my job kind of thing and, and and at the same time saying that he is technically still employed by them and uh is waiting to see if an outcome can be solved. happens a lot over here. You get a lot of... It's not quite like Italy where everybody's on garden leave and then gets brought back every three weeks or so. Mm. But it's a bit awkward, he did, um, administratively he did, speaking. I think. He, spoke, he spoke on RMC yesterday or the day before and was sort of highlighting, and that's where the amateur club comment came yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and was sort of you know obviously the the failure to register a player for the Europa League squad. He's got a point on that. Was the, was the prime example? Yeah. I don't know what quite why the club came out and said, "Whoops, we forgot." Yeah, just keep uh, it in house, don't you? Shooting yourself in the foot there. But he also then said that that when he went for the job, he was actually put forward by the prospective new American owners um, to the existing Bordeaux hierarchy, and his claim was that they had no idea who he was and, and they had to they had to Google who he was. Which speaks volumes, really, doesn't uh, it? Well, it speaks volumes, I think, for, for Bordeaux's setup, but perhaps also for Poet's ego, I think, as yes. well. Mm. Um, and, and, and so people it's, forget outside of France. I mean, you know, they are a big club. I mean, it's not, you know, this isn't Nîmes or Angers, with all due respect, is it? This is Clive, a, Clive Allen used to play for them, did you know? It, I know I've not heard that. And Jonathan Pierce once pronounced them correct. No, that didn't happen either. Um, yes, I, I think the only game I'd like to throw into that mix, Bordeaux Nîmes is the one I'm I'm intrigued by, as well as the Friday night filling of of Nice Ren. Um, Carl Leon is the one I'm keeping an eye on because uh, I'm not convinced about Leon at the moment, um, and I know a lot of people aren't, but. Um, there's the whole ongoing Genesio thing, which you know I'm not. We're not going to touch today because we've gone forever. But I don't know. There's just something about about Leon. It just doesn't seem right at the moment. Lots of talented players, but something isn't clicking. I mean, they sit eighth in the table at the moment. They've they've um, lost the, the their last results time. are weird though. They, beat they are they're up and down. Fine. Yeah. They lost to Reims. Weird. Yeah. They beat Strasbourg. Fine. They lost to Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. 
It's it means like, you couldn't even get a goal, let alone a result. Con yeah. aren't that bad. So yeah, this could just be... one just one thing on Genesio. I don't want to get into it either, but the um the abuse that he's getting. I mean we, oh, we saw, the most recent one the most recent one we saw was was where some quote unquote fans decided that they would hurl some abuse about was it his daughter, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and then he rightfully went after them. Mm. Um and it it was quite good to see current and former players coming out in support of Genesio. The Leon the the, Twitter, the, the, the Leon the statement was, took a was, a, was a little rated, but they they said that they you know they wanted to make sure that you know all the facts were were in place before releasing, which I suppose is a is a wise thing. But Olas never normally waits for facts before telling something. No. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's just it's just ridiculous. Um, what you know, you look at what Leon have achieved over the last couple of seasons. There's nothing more. That they could have done. Genuinely, there isn't anything more they could have done. Maybe that's yeah. the, the victim of their own success, almost. Maybe uh, exceeding expectations well, I, that run to what, the. What, I mean, you know, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to be, you know, I mean, they've beaten PSG. Are they supposed to be, you know, winning titles? Well, they're not going to be winning titles. Are they winning cups? They're not going to be winning cups. No. You know, PSG have that sewn up. So you have to reassess what your expectations are. And I just don't think some Leon fans have, have perhaps done that. And it's, it's West Ham syndrome almost, isn't it? Like ideas above your <laughs> well, station. At least, no, but at least Leon have got their recent history to back it up. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, I just feel that that, that abuse that Genesio receives, yeah, he's stubborn. Yeah, you know, he's not without fault, but... So is Guardiola. Let's just calm it down perhaps a little bit. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, we'll um, we'll obviously be back next week. Um, we hope you've enjoyed a, a slightly extended version of the pod this week. We just thought we'd cover all all bases. So hopefully you've enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, you can ping us some feedback if you ever wish. If you uh, just want to uh, tell the host how crappy he is or uh, tell the presenters how good they are, then feel free. You can drop us a tweet or send an email or a pigeon if, if you wish. But we always value your feedback in all seriousness. And obviously any uh, anything that you want to contribute to the show in ways of questions, you can do that as well uh plan will be as usual that we uh, should be barring any sort of catastrophe or uh, anything untoward we should be back this time next week to discuss the weekend's league action and we'll probably uh, slide a little preview of the champions league and europa league ties as well because i must admit i'd forgotten that that was happening next week so <laughs> crikey it's come round before i was shopping oh, today God, i need i need to get spreadsheets together I, I need banned. to work out where this year's gone i was shopping today and i saw a halloween stand in a shop I was oh like, jesus already it's october um but yes uh, so we will be back this time next week um as i say ping us across your uh, your questions if you've got anything you want to ask about but until then i shall just simply say thank you to my lovely guests as usual so thank you to jazz jazz has left jazz has left thank <laughs> You could have pretended to have been Jezza. Uh, well, I was for... thinking about it, but you should have. Sure I could carry it off. Well, thank you to you, Phil, as usual. Thank you. And thank you to Rich. Nice to have you back. Thank you very much. And uh, we will be back this time next week uh, if we can find where Jazz has gone. So uh, until then, enjoy your weekend's Liga or indeed Liga action, and we will speak to you very soon.